I think you don't need to be from those areas to get that, to glean that, you know what I mean? Which sort of, you know, you kind of think it's kind of an immigrant story, but it's not really an immigrant story because it's sort of, I guess it feels like a transit, in some of the stories they feel like they're transitioning from, mm. from you know, South Korea to what other place they are. But wherever they are, you know, that homeland is sort of like, I don't want to say a mystery. It's not a mystery because they know what it is, but it's so, it's behind them, but yet in front of them and in a part of them, but they're in this new space where people are speaking really fast. You know, they have a mouthful of words <laughs> that, that, that seem to be overflowing, you know, and not really saying a whole lot. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Laura Yu. I'm here with Kofi Adisa and Sylvia Lee for another episode of Bookish. Today, we are going to talk about a collection of short stories called Skinship, and it's by the author Yoon Choi. And I have a little brief bio I want to share in a couple of quotes from her interviews, and then I'm going to hand it over to Sylvia and Kofi to get us started with our discussion. So Yoon Choi was born in Korea and moved to the U.S. at the age of three. She is a graduate of the writing seminar at Johns Hopkins University and a 2017 recipient of a Stegner Fellowship in Fiction at Stanford. Her work has most recently been published in Michigan Quarterly Review and Chicago Quarterly Review, and she lives with her four children and her husband in California. So I want to share with you two quotes from one of her interviews. And the interviewer asked her about the length of her short stories, which you might say are a little longish for short stories, right? Some of them are. So the reviewer said, our review described each of your stories as, quote, luxuriously long. What do you do to let a short story breathe? And she said, the author Changli Lee was one of my mentors at Stanford, and I remember having a conversation with him about the perfect length. He drinks a lot of nice wine, <laughs> and I'm a wine drinker. And the formulation we came up with was, quote, a glass of wine story. As you read a 30-page story, that's about as long as it takes to have a nice glass of wine. So that was her sort of answer to that question about the length of her stories. And about writing about Korean Americans, specifically in her stories, she said, I made a very conscious choice to focus on Korean American characters. I really wanted to write for a Korean American reader first. The stories had to work on our level. I felt the sense of this is my small contribution to the giant bookshelf that I imagine. In writing these characters, I wanted to get the details and the names right and put them out there into literature. So you know that I'm very interested in this idea of name. And I actually wanted to share that her name, Yoon Choi, is actually my given maiden name. My name is Yoon Choi. <laughs> so my full name is Yoon Ji Choi. But often Koreans will drop the second syllable or make that into a middle name. So then I technically my name would be Yoon and then G is the middle name, and Choi was, is my maiden last name. So I looked at that cover and I thought, hey, that's my name on the cover of the book. Um, what do I write my this? name at all now? <laughs> but yes. Yeah, Pretty so, popular. <laughs> so I was very interested in that uh, name idea too. And throughout the book, I kept 
kind of trying to keep track of the names of the characters too. Yeah, so what'd you guys make of Skinship? Well, you know, I do appreciate the luxuriousness of the length of the story. I guess I felt it was more like a bottle of wine than a, <laughs> a glass. And maybe because I don't read that fast. I, I sort of, I don't sip, I, I guzzle. So when I'm reading, I tend to, you know, take my time and try to really look at what I think the author is trying to do at, mm -hmm. on, a, on the story level and beyond that. And so the thing that I enjoy about the stories mostly is that I felt like I was on a journey. I felt like I was actually learning something that maybe as someone outside of Korean American culture, I was sort of like a eavesdropper on some of the secrets and some of the hidden truths behind those secrets and those relationships with mother and son in particular that seemed striking, as well as the relationship between mothers and daughters seemed equally striking. And so I found that that experience quiet and somewhat, I don't wanna say sad, but melancholy was the word. You know, I guess lacrimose would be another one, but it was much more melancholy. And, you know, with the first story in particular, you know, I was thinking about the two women meeting up, having dated the same guy, and they both experienced some tragedy, you know, one much more deeply emotional, definitely also physical, but the other, you know, much more physical and equally de deeply emotional. I just, I just found that you Joy's uh, delivery of those scenes really, really wonderful and just really polished. And I guess that would help in terms of the breadth and length of the story. So it's not rushed through you're sort of taken into that moment of realization. And I, I just found it to be really, really good in a lot of our stories. Yeah, luxuriously long, I think is the right way to put it. And then <laughs> it's funny because inadvertently, I have put her glass of wine length thing to the test because I was drinking while I was reading some of these stories. And to Kofi's point, I was like, I think we're very, when you were saying that just now, Laura, I was like, I think we're very different drinkers like <laughs> like sometimes I'd read things I'm like whoa you know? <laughs> or but I think for me kind of maybe this is what you were saying Kofi the idea of it being luxuriously long like being able I think I was invited to take my time through the stories yes. I was invited not to rush through them and so you know for some readers you know these short, short stories are fairly long longer than typical short stories are I think like one of them I was like this is kind of like a mini novella really and so it slowed me down through the book which I think had the stories been shorter I would have probably burned through the book pretty quickly but you know as it were I you know would pause in the middle of the story and then come back to it or you know, and each story I came to expect something along the lines of where is the story going to take me? Because, you know, with the length of the stories, you get a sense that it's going to be about something very different than where you start out with the way sure. that the story unravels or like unfolds. And it's not something that's like, for the most part, it's to the melancholy idea, the stories aren't like taking on these subject matters that are you know, horrifying or suspenseful, even though there is trauma in there, I think the way that it handles it is very slowly and intimately. And it's funny that that second quote that you mentioned, I don't think I've ever read any book in my life like this one, where I felt so particularly like 
this is for me, you know, this book was written for me. And so that intention that she had writing this book, I think very clearly came out to the point where I was actually reading this over the winter. I went, you know, on vacation with some friends and we were, you know, I was sitting there, had time to read and they weren't even reading the book, but I would just stop and I would read passages to them and they'd be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, they could understand where, you know, exactly what I was talking about. And I remember, I remember distinctly saying them, I was like, she wrote this book for me. She wrote this book for, for people like me. And it was, you know, for that reason, I was kind of dreading this episode because I didn't know how to talk about that, you know, in a way mm-hmm. that it's very complicated, I guess. It's hard to articulate, but she takes those things that are hard to articulate about experience and she writes them so adeptly and astutely in these stories. And I think that's why the stories take such a long time because she's trying to capture these very complicated, intimate connections that we have in our relationships. And she's trying to take that and illustrate that, I guess, for us. And it's so hard to do what she's doing. So I wrote that in my notes for today, before you read her interview, I wrote, you know, the words like intimacy, right? These, a lot of these, so the word skinship for our readers is a Conglish term. And it kind of talks about one way in which you, in your relationship with somebody, whether it's a friend or romantic partner um, or someone you kind of, you know, you start off at a level of like distance, right? Emotional, relational distance with someone. And as you get to know each other, that distance closes in a bit more. And one way you know that you are getting close to someone is through the act of skinship, right? So, you know, breaking that physical touch barrier with somebody, for example, and you know, it's a way to signal your closeness with somebody. And so the idea that, you know, and her title story, I think, really pulls into question the title story, Skinship, from from where the collection draws its title, to me really raises those questions of what ties us together, what brings us together in our relationships, what is known to the people who are closest to you. You'll never really know them. I think in one review, a reviewer called it like the opacity of relationships. Like mm-hmm. there's some things that are opaque, you know, that are only ever known to the self, but not to your partner who might be the closest to you. So each of these stories, like to me, is about relationship, about intimacy and, you know, what is known and what is unknown between two people, but then also between the self too, in some stories. So it's to me, like it was the stories themselves, the length, the way that she was writing them, the melancholy tone, all to be signaled like an intimacy there that she's drawing you into the like the center and the core of these characters. So like, I have never read a book where the characters are so fully like developed on a page. And I think it's because of the length of the story that she, I don't know how she has developed these characters so well. I think it has to do with the detail. I think that's how the intimacy is established. The level of detail in some of these stories are so specific. And I'll, I'll give our readers an example. So I like to read the first sentence of every short story collection with a lot of anticipation, because I know the writer is going to bring out their best in that first sentence. So in the very first story, The Church of Abundant Life, this is the first little mini paragraph, but it's really one long sentence and ends in two short sentences. Sue occupies the high stool behind the register as her husband, Jay, brings in the cartons of eggs, the infant formula, the glue traps, the dried beans, the Little Debbie Cakes, the single rolls of toilet paper, the strawberry cigars, the Jamaican castor oil, the yellow boxes of SOS steel wool, the cough syrup, the cereal, the hydroquinone cream, the little glass pipes of love roses, 
the foil capped plastic barrel drinks called little hugs that their customers call grenades. It is a Wednesday. On Wednesdays, Jay restocks the store. And when I read that, I was like, it's on. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, she's, she's bringing it. And that signaled to me what she was going to do. The level of detail there, you know, each one of those things is like an image. And I've seen these images before, you know, in the countless of store counters that I've visited or whatever. So, you know, the way that she brings in the detail to create like this very specific, real experience. I mean, I don't, I, I just thought it was incredible, but I'll stop talking now. I think no, that, no, that, I, that was revealing and wonderful at the same time. Yeah, that opening paragraph is, you know, is probably familiar to a lot of Korean Americans who whose parents or who they, they themselves owned small businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember the hugs, like my parents had like a carryout place, fried chicken burger place in Baltimore and hugs. I specifically remember hugs, <laughs> specifically that I was not allowed to drink it, even though I worked there. <laughs> But to those details, right, and I could completely picture her sitting on that stool behind the counter. It's basically painting this picture of her surrounding where she is sitting. And then in that story, and then in other stories, so many of the other stories to how important the church is mm-hmm. to the Korean American people and the community. And in many ways, I think it's still the case. But I noticed that in many of the stories about the elderly, for example, elderly parents or relationship between families, a lot of it is affected by, curated by that religious commitment or faith or just church life, right? Yeah. So I I think there are so many of these elements and, and, and also specifically like using Korean language and sometimes actually putting things in Korean language and yeah. not um, romanizing certain things. It's all about building that picture, the details. And I, Sylvia, I think you're right that those details all, I don't know, make it luxurious and long and simmering, Real, yeah. simmering. I, I thought of the word simmering. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Like the fla- as it simmers, the flavors deepen over yeah. time, right? So, I mean, I also think a little... Shout out. The other reason why it resonated so deeply with me, I think, is because there is a specific shout out to an actual church in this area, Korean American church. Yeah. And I, I was like, she's before I even read her bio, I was like, she's definitely from this area or she has spent time in this area because yeah. she calls out. She talks about Columbia, Maryland specifically. It's a very short reference, but that's where one of the revival in that first story takes place at a Korean church in Columbia, Maryland. And I thought it was so interesting that, you know, there are, and her other stories call out like Annandale, Virginia, and mm-hmm. these very, sp- Bayside, these very specific Korean enclaves. So to me, that was also like a signal that she is writing to people who would be familiar that this is where a lot of, there's a high population and concentration of Koreans and Korean Americans. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Another small detail that is or, or another, it's a basic detail, but it's a, a meaningful one nonetheless. So I think you don't need to be from, those areas to get that, to glean that, you know what I mean? Which sort of, you know, you kind of think it's kind of an immigrant story, but it's not really an immigrant story because it's sort of, I guess it feels like a transit. In some of the stories, they feel like they're transitioning from, mm. from you know, South Korea to what other place they are. But wherever they are, you know, that homeland is sort of like 
I don't say a mystery. It's not a mystery because they know what it is, but it's so it's behind them, but yet in front of them and in a part of them. But they're in this new space where people are speaking really fast. You know, they have a mouthful of words <laughs> that, that seem to be overflowing, you know, and not really saying a whole lot. And I, I kind of found that with not just the length, but with the pace of the story, like some stories can be short, but they feel long. You know, and some stories can be long and they feel long. This story, they, I mean, I really felt like there was a nice pace that nothing was wasted. There wasn't a wasted moment in the reading. Like I didn't go, ooh, this could have been edited down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this needed yeah. to be bared down. There wasn't those moments. Whereas I think in some other things we've read or even things we you know, haven't read together, I've had those moments like, this could have been kind of pared down a bit. I felt like everything was, I guess there is that intentionality because she was very much aware of, or is very much aware of the type of audience she's looking for. And I think that's great, actually. I think that's a great word to describe sort of maybe a theme like transition. As Mm -hmm. you watch characters transitioning from one phase in life to another phase or even phase in relationships. What struck me about that story, Skinship, is in my mind, I was thinking, oh, this is a story about this family that immigrates, right, from Korea to America. But then I realized almost the entire story takes place within the home, within the walls of this home. And actually, it's the same thing in Korea, too. It's just about this family member's dynamic. So really, it's not like, as you're saying, in some ways, it's not an immigration story, but it's, it's a story about these family members and how they are each dealing with the transition, right? The move, but also their relationships as it's being affected by the move. And they practically run away from the father, basically, right? So then the three of them, and then how they interact with their aunt's family, for example. So I realized like they move to America, but we don't really see America in the story. We just see what happens among the family members inside the walls of the home. And I really love that. And, you know, I did have a moment of like self-reflection where I thought about, oh, my family moved to the States when I was 10. My brother was six or seven. My parents were in their 40s. And it just like made me think, like I had a picture in my mind of the four of us in our home and how each of us experienced that transition right? I know how I experienced it. But of course, as a 10 year old, I never thought about it from like, oh, I wonder how mom is doing today, right? Or how dad is feeling it, or even my brother is doing it. So it brought like a moment for me to reflect, like kind of look back at almost a snapshot picture in my mind, the four of us in our apartment, how each of us had dealt with that or what we experienced. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that. It was a really, really beautiful story. It was a, one of those stories that, you know, at first I was like, oh, and then I couldn't stop thinking about it, you know, and that's what I find with a lot of her stories, the way that she ends the story. So endings are notoriously tricky, right? As we've talked about on this show, uh, but the way that she ends her stories, the resistance to tidy up the story and almost like the stories as they unravel, like the way she ends it just she ends it like the frayed end of a rope almost for me, but it's like opening up these, she ends it with this like tacit understanding that she expects you to have at the end of the story too, about what has happened. 
you know, like these like complex emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. And I, for the most part, I got that. And I wouldn't even be able to, I think, adequately explain some of the endings of the stories like um, skinship, you know, and what happens at the end of that story is so it's an action that you're kind of left off in the middle of, right. Or at the onset of, and you realize that something profound has happened, you mm-hmm. know, in this family, you know, that was separated and now they're back together. And there seems to still be this distance and chasm, you know, and it's dark, but it's also moving at the same time. And it's weird to explain it that way. And also a matter of fact, like, like yes, that's what it, know, it just, is. Like, it just, it just is. This happens. Yeah. This happened. And then there's tomorrow. Like, that's literally what she says in the, at the end of the yeah. Church of Abundant Life, right? Like mm. literally she's thinking, Sue is thinking about, oh, tomorrow I got to go buy bread and milk and, right. you know. Um, yeah. And even like yeah. in um, the story, the first language, the story first yeah. language. Which, I was about to make a point about that. Go ahead. Yeah. Which is written from the point of view of a Korean woman who, you know, has been in this sort of like matched marriage with a, a son from a previous relationship and or encounter and you know the way she writes that the narrative voice is still in that sort of it's in English but it's in a Korean English you know what I mean so you know the articles the way that she uses them especially Mm -hmm. um, you get a sense of this this woman's voice but also there's this reference in there when she and her husband who's Korean American for you know they get into an argument when he finds out about her son and you know he's saying, is this what a marriage is? You know, where, you know, we're supposed to be telling each other these things is what a marriage is. Mm -hmm. And then there's this thought that she has that you're thinking of, like she says, little boy, you're thinking of an American marriage. Right. Mm -hmm. In a Korean marriage, you know, it's this, it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's sort of like kind of what you're talking about, Laura, like, and then there's tomorrow, you know, or, and then this happens. And it's so matter of fact, it's so mundane. It's sort of like this, it's, it's every day, you know, like, the everyday is still the everyday. You still have to wake up and, and do these things. And I thought it was so interesting. But Kofi, what you're saying about the immigrant story, it's funny because I had a question on my notes, like what is an immigrant story? Mm-hmm. You know, and what is the an immigrant experience? Because in some of the reviews I read, you know, they're like, oh, at first, here's another book about the immigrant experience. And I was like, but reading this, I was like, it features immigrants for sure. Right. It but features it's, not. Their, it's But it's not an immigrant. Yeah. Other, yeah. And I was thinking, well, what is an immigrant story and what is the immigrant experience? And, you know, when is a writer just writing about characters who happen to be immigrants? Sure. But these are universal things that it's fundamental about relationships. She's writing about relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. A good point. Yeah. The one thing I, we were talking about, the way things ended, as I was reading First Language, I instinctually turned the page expecting more to come. And that's when I I think the next story is a map of a simplified world. And I thought, oh, (laughs) the story ended. (laughs) I thought there was, because they just, well, I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but it does end in a matter of fact way. I think that's the best way to put it. But it feels unresolved, but it is resolved in a way that, you know, her attachment to her son supersedes her attachment to her matched husband. And that makes sense. Because there's a level of like intimacy there that she will never have. There's a depth there too. There's a distance there that even though physically they were 
there is a distance between her and her son. There's like this just instinctual level of, I know you, you, you know me. And it's that touch again. Yeah. She puts her hand on the back of his neck mm-hmm. and then she, two more, you know, like she like, that's a fist, that's Korean word for fist. Like it, you know, like all my parents used to do it to me all the time. If I acted up, they like give me a little like fist thing. And yeah. And to me, that's like that right there. That's what it is. You know, that's skinship. Like that's what, what it is. The map, I know we only have a couple minutes left, but the map of the simplified world, I will have to say it was one of my favorite stories in this. And I feel like in each of the stories, she's offering up a clue about what she's doing. Kind of we talked about some of them, you know, today, just like in endings and the way, where the stories take place. And I think in Map of Simplify World, speaking of details, in that story, one detail that stood out to me was when <laughs> the character, she's going to her public library and she's just like checking out books or reading books. And she starts reading the Sweet Valley Twins, right? Or the Sweet Valley High. And I just laughed so hard because I totally remember, I think they're still in print, you know, the Sweet Valley High books about those twins, Jessica and Elizabeth with their blonde hair and blue eyes. But she has this one line in there and she does this. She can reduce things down to just like one line too, where she's like, you know, this girl's looking at the book. She's like, oh, this is great because it was about twins, but she very quickly like caught on to the idea that really it was about the multiple versions of a self. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, ding, you know? And that just one line kind of rang in because to me, that's what the story is about. You know, Jiwon or the character in that story, the multiple versions of herself that she experiences and becomes and grows into and I could see that too in some of the other stories as well, that there is no one like one type of immigrant or one type mm. of immigrant woman or Korean woman or Korean man or son or relationship, that these are all versions of ourselves. And I thought that was so, yeah, I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> that one can be these different versions of oneself. I thought that was really interesting, but so much. I highly recommend read these read these stories she's a i don't even know how to describe the type of writer she is she's just um, an excellent one (laughs) there's no one else there's no one writing like her and i think just she's incredible well we're almost out of time so i guess we should at least say what we might be doing in the next episode which i think is what we're doing (laughs) talking, talking ish about books uh, oh, yes. as always. <laughs> we're going to talk about books yes for sure I think we need to think about what else you know we want to read or what else we want to talk about with our readers and we'll give you an update probably through our social media through social media and share what's going to happen next episode yep. which we do now have a social media presence. We, we can do. Find yes, so very place. soon we will have a Facebook page up and running and there we can share information about our episodes and our podcast, but also just general information and thoughts and news about you know books and reading and writing. So I hope to be able to share that maybe next episode, more details about that and invite everybody to come check out the page. Yeah, and we could talk about creeping on other people's other writers' fan pages and find stuff. <laughs> I found some good stuff on Disha Filia. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, I was creeping, you know. <laughs> I saw something. I was like, I'm going to get that book because she has it. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Otherwise, it's what, Dragon Digital? 
I'm wrong. Find us at dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. Right. <laughs> and then click on Bookish. Or you can find us on YouTube as well on the Tower Community College channel. And pretty soon, like Laura said, you'll find us on Facebook. So join our group, join our community to talk about books and lend your thoughts and yep. recommendations too. If there's a book that you've been really wanting to discuss or that you've talked about, love to get those recommendations and, you know, be able to have that conversation. So, yeah. Absolutely. And if you like the video, click like and subscribe. Yes, please do. And download our podcast because that's how we know that there is there's an audience. And people who are listening to us. <laughs> All right. This has been great as usual. Thanks, <laughs> you guys. Bye. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.